This is called The Light. Um, I'm a man of a thousand dances, misunderstanding the glances. Didn't mind taking chances until now. I still crave the wildness, but I'm no longer childless. I'm not saying I'm guileless. That's not allowed. Somehow I've built this callous, perhaps by my enormous prowess. God, forgive me for this malice. I let it go. I'm sick of all this presumption that served for my consumption. Justice is my function. Let it flow. I've lost all my contraband, especially now that I'm a husband. Trudge through wind and sand to be free. My greatest song is as a father to serve my sons the living water so that they can fly farther than me. Break off the form. I tire of being warm. I'm ready for the storm. I need the fight. We long to live the dream. Already things are not as they seem. It's not what I have, but what I bring that turns on the light. And I believe that, you know, I don't know how many years ago it was now, approximately four, Robert might remember better than me, but I remember sitting in my office in my chair, in my green chair that doesn't match anything in my office, that my wife tells me about once every quarter, when are you going to get rid of that chair? But It's in good shape, it's just kind of ugly as far as colors go, but nonetheless, I was sitting there and thinking about um, thinking about a generation, thinking about how that in our city it seemed at that time especially that there wasn't a lot going on for the 20-something crowd. I thought, how can we live in a college town where we have, what is it, five colleges and there not be a move of God amongst the college crowd? And I just felt in my heart that that was a great injustice, that it wasn't right, and it bothered me a whole lot. And I just began to pray over days, Lord, what can we do? And I just felt like the Lord said, you know, son, you can have the largest college ministry in the city. I said, well, cool. I mean, that's not necessarily the goal. We just want to obey God. And I don't think we have the largest college ministry in, in the city by any means. It'd probably be Chi Alpha or, or, or somebody like that. They're doing great things and other wonderful ministries that, that do great things. But I think it's something bigger than that. And I think sometimes God, did you know something? Kind of, let me just, i got two things going at once. God will not test you with poverty, sickness, or, or death. He's re, he won't test us with things he's redeemed us from. Amen. But sometimes he will... Tell us something. I'm just telling you my little opinion on this and my experience. I'm not preaching you a doctrine here, okay? But I believe sometimes God will give us a word, not necessarily because He wants to bring it to pass, but He wants to test us with the word. Does that make sense? It's kind of a weird thing to say, but let me tell you what I mean by that. Because the Lord said, you can have the biggest college ministry in the city. And you know what? I actually believe this about myself, that I'm, um, uh, what's the word, charismatic enough to where I could make that happen. And I'm a decent enough leader where I could pull that off. Um, I'll get to more of that in a minute, but purposely we, I've, I've not done that. But 
one time God was ticked off at his people. And he said to Moses, I'm going to paraphrase this, the pastor, the PK uh, paraphrase version. He basically said, screw them. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to start over with you, Mo. I'm going to make of you a great nation. That's a pretty cool word from God. I'm going to make of you a great nation. He had a word from the Lord. And a lot of us, me included, would say, be it unto me according to your word. But sometimes God will give us a word to test our hearts. Because God will test you, contrary to what some word of faith charismaniacs teach and preach. He won't test you with poverty. He'll test you with prosperity. He won't test you with sickness, but He'll test you with health. He won't test you with death, but He'll test you with life. See what you'll do with it. So I got this word from God where He's talking to me in my office, and He says, I'll... You can, have the, you can have the biggest college ministry in town. And we were at to understand, we were at a time in our church, not that we're, by no means are we a, a large church or a mega church or anything like that. But we were probably at that time, I think, on a really good day, on a Sunday morning, we might have 180 people. If, uh, if all the pregnant people showed up and we counted them twice. <laughs> and you pregnant people do count twice, just want, for the record. Unless you have twins and you count thrice. Noel. Twins. Am I just... Is that... No, never mind. That was those ribs I ate before I came. Never mind. But so, to me, I was thinking something big. Well, that sounds good. Because, you know, when I, when I first got here to Harvest Church as the lead pastor, you know, there was about 85 angry people wounded people whatever and man i just wanted i was just happy if my wife showed up on sunday you know what i mean and so i'm thinking man a big ministry that that oh yeah that sounds good because we left very fruitful ministry in india physically left we didn't we're still part of that ministry and lead that ministry but so that was pretty cool where i thought man the largest college ministry in the city Thought about it for a minute. Rolled it around for just a minute. Prayed in the Holy Ghost. That's tongues for anybody that's not not Pentecostal. And then I just said, as I'm praying in tongues, I said, Lord, saturate us. Lord, I don't have, honestly, God, I really don't want the biggest college ministry in town. I want you to saturate a generation with your presence. That's what I want. I don't care if I lead it, if I'm a part of it, if I'm behind it, pushing it, if I'm in the middle of it, if I even just get to watch it from a distance. I just want to see it happen in my lifetime. Saturate our city. Because I believe that You are called, destined to be at the forefront, in a sense, of, not that you're more important than anybody else, you just have a different role to play, but you're called to be at an important position in what I believe is going to be the greatest uprising of God's Spirit in human history. So, a small part of that 
is the word justice. But at the same time, it's all about justice. So I know I just said kind of two different things. A small part of it is justice, but then the whole thing is justice. And I just want to confess before I even get started tonight that um, I have a whole lot to learn about justice. And the little bit that I feel like I have learned, I want to pass on to you. Because we're in this thing together, right? And so it was a hunger for it was a hunger for God and a and a desire to see a city impacted that this ministry came out of. And, and it's really not a ministry, it's a movement. That's what it's supposed to be. Saturate is not the college ministry of Harvest Church. I mean, though it is. When I say college, I use that term loosely. But Saturate was never intended to be just another ministry. But it was always destined to be a movement. You so impacted my friend Mike Giordano that he went back to California and started a Saturate. They meet once a month and they have about 120... Young adults come together once a month, and they have just a cool time. And um, we have a Saturate-like thing happening in Bangalore, India now, and it's called Youth Awakening. Of course, it's like in Honduras, youth goes all the way up to like 25, you know. So they have Youth Awakening, and we do a concert a couple times a year, and I, I wish I had pictures of it. Maybe I do, but um, to show you, but it's a movement that's starting. And see, in fact, I never really came here to pastor a church, but to ignite a movement. I'm a movement maker posing as a pastor. Justice. Jesus talked about a woman who went to the unjust judge. Remember that story? And he and she prayed to him night and day. And finally, the judge, even though he was not a godly man, said, This woman's gonna wear me out. So I'm gonna give her what she wants. Even though I don't fear God or man, I'm going to give her what she wants so she doesn't wear me out. How much more will God give his people speedy justice? But notice who he gives justice to. His people. I believe part of our job as the church, is to take justice to the world. But we can't take justice to the world if we don't carry justice in our heart. Because justice is not a project. It's a condition of our heart. It's not a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. And justice springs out Of the heart of God's people who are in intimate relationship with Him. Hallelujah. 
It manifests in projects. It can. But it's not a project. It's not a political party. It's not the left wing or the right wing. It's not the left or the right. In fact, you know, from Scripture, we could actually pray or say, get right or get left. So we know God's on the right, as he says, get right. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, sort of. But it's not about politics, because if you think about it, let me just get political for a minute. The Republican Party, they're the ones that stand for family values and traditional marriage as it's described in the Bible and, and faith uh, uh, initiatives and, and for um, um, not giving a hand out but giving a hand up. I'm just talking about in theory, right? Um, this is what, supposedly what they stand for. They stand for uh, these sorts of things. Smaller government and lower taxes. The Democratic Party, they stand for helping the poor. And they stand for increasing taxes and bigger government and bigger... So that we can, you know, socialize medicine so everyone gets their share. Right? That sounds good too, in, in a way. And so they have some good ideas. The Republicans have some good ideas. But the fact of the matter is, neither party is the solution because it's not the kingdom of God. There may be a lesser of two evils amongst those two. And you can decide for yourself which of those two it is. However, it's never going to get fixed politically until Jesus comes and sets up his government. And that's what we are to be about doing. In fact, Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven. I like what one little kid said. He says, see, even God doesn't even know who's in heaven. God, who art in heaven? Of course, we know that's not what he meant. But he said, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth, just like it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's his kingdom. Because his kingdom is a kingdom of justice. I have to... Compelled to tell you this tonight. If you kind of wanted to know, I mean, I have a I have a wall that's full of books, and I've read most of them. I love to read. In fact, I want to read a book on speed reading because <laughs> I want to read more. I just I'm a learner. I can't learn enough. In fact, I was reading about social justice a little bit before I, I came in here tonight, and there's actually, believe it or not, there's three camps or three sections in the body of Christ where they have three fundamental ideas about the poor and how to help them and who, who the poor is. And there are actually debates about who the poor actually are. Can you believe that? I mean, so, and we won't get into all that tonight because it's just kind of scholastics, you know. It's like Bible college, but it, the kind of Bible college that doesn't really help anybody. <laughs> you know, so I won't get into all that with you. It's just interesting, you know. It's kind of like the shelf life of a moon pie is 80 days. And that's a fact. And I have that in here. I can't get it out. That's a true, true statement. 
Some say 88 days. There's a controversy, but nonetheless, that's true. Actually, it's true. It's kind of like you know, the, like I heard one kid say. He's, he's, we introduced Doctor So and So. He had his PhD, you know, and he said, and he said, "Well, I have this Bobo. Can you help me out?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm not that kind of doctor." He goes, "Oh, you're the kind of doctor that can't do you any good." But if you kind of wanted to strip away all the books on my shelf and just leave us with a couple of books, of course, uh, the Bible is uh, definitely number one on the list. Um, and then it's funny as this might sound, I'm reading a lot more of it these days, and I highly recommend it. Great book. But uh, the books that describe our DNA, where we're headed... And you know, those are so many great ones, it's, it's hard to you know, just pick a couple. But I want to tell you about a few, maybe five. The Bible, of course, that you know, trumps all books. But there, here's one, The Challenge of Missions. And if you haven't read it, wow, totally rock your world. Challenge of Missions. It is by Oswald J. Smith, and it's available in our bookstore. Easy read, especially a great one to read right now at the missions conference. How many of you have read that book? You have read that book. Okay, cool. A few of you. Read The Challenge of Missions. In fact, this book went out of print, and my pastor, Mark Brzee, got permission and brought it back into print, and they actually print this book now. Another book is called Red Moon Rising. I don't agree with all you know these guys' doctrine or whatever, but who cares? I agree with more important stuff. Okay? And... I think there's another book by by this guy, um, Peter Craig. Peter Greg, sorry, I always say Craig, it's Greg. Another book by him that I think is really, this book and and, uh, this other book, they should have been one big giant book, but it's called The Vision and the Vow. And has anybody read The Vision and the Vow? I'm the only one? Holy smoke, that totally describes Saturate. I have a copy of it in my library, and I'll I'll donate it to the, you know, the lending library or whatever we're going to call it. But uh, the vision, the vow, and Red Moon Rising. I'm going to count that as one book together, right? And then you got a bunch of great stuff that, um, you know, like uh, anything by Bill Johnson. Um, I'm going to go a little old school on you here. Forgive me. Anything by Kenneth Hagin. Anything by E.W. Kenyon. But especially, Two Kinds of Righteousness by E.W. Kenyon. Especially, um, one of my favorites is the, the 21 or 23 Lessons on Faith by Brother Hagen. It's, it's little, little bite-sized lessons on, on faith. Phenomenal stuff. Um, and then anything, you know, Brother Hagen's The Law, uh, Love, The Way to Victory. Wow. If you haven't read Love, The Way to Victory, uh, that is a must read. Hear me, a must read. Love, The Way of, and, and the good news is you can get it on CD. <laughs> so you can listen to it. Um, like I said, anything by, by Bill Johnson, especially um, one of my personal favorite of his is the one about um, dreaming in God. So um, there's, there's a few. And then, I'm not necessarily putting this one. Uh, I'm reading right now a book called The Missional Leader, and uh, it's kind of messing me up a little bit. 
and then one called The Forgotten Ways. It was written by a friend of Raphael Irwin McManus's The Forgotten Ways. But uh, I, t- I tell you what, if I can just throw this one out there, also by Irwin McManus is one called uh, An Unstoppable Force. Uh, that would put that in the top five of our DNA, the, An Unstoppable Force, Irwin McManus. It took me about a year to read it because I kept rereading it. So that's, I mean, because a lot of the thing that some of these books have in common is that it's not about the ministry, it's about a movement. It's not about being a church, it's about being the church. Justice is making sure everyone is afforded equal opportunity. Ensuring that everyone has a fair go. Everybody say a fair go. Everyone doesn't take advantage of their fair go, and everyone doesn't get a fair go. Let me just teach for a few minutes, and then we'll tell some stories. Injustice, and there's a lot of it in our world. We do not live in a fair world. Anybody notice that? Did you know that about 80% of the world struggles and deals with human trafficking, human slavery? A hot spot for it is Calcutta, India. for kidnapping little girls and selling them into prostitution. Little boys, too, as far as that goes. Africa, kidnapping young boys and turning them, torturing them until they agree to become killers in some strange revolution. Uh, Thailand, where uh, we've helped a friend who started four girls' homes where they would... Because people go in and they say, hey, we're going to give you a great job. And they take these little girls. And I say little girls, I'm talking, uh, you know, 14 to 21 year old. And we're going to give you a great job. And you can, you don't have to live in this village. And you can send money back to your family. And they'll, you know, they'll be blessed. And they, then they take them and they rape them. And they stick them in these brothels and turn them into prostitutes in, in Bangkok. And I have been to Bangkok on several occasions where we've seen some of these girls who are trapped in that lifestyle. And so we started raising money. This was years ago. And a friend of mine uh, and I uh, did this, and, and, and I'd like to know. I think one of these homes is still going, but we started raising money, and we would go into these villages, and we would buy little girls. And we would create a home for them where they'd be safe. We'd give them an education and train them so that they could actually have a real job. But we live in an unfair world. We live in an unjust world. And injustice has its root. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Injustice has its root in sin. Just like sickness and just like poverty, it has its root in sin. Justice is a spiritual issue. It begins in the spirit. One way to pursue justice and champion justice is to use your gifts. Uh, I listened to uh, Aaron last Friday night, and he said something that I really liked, and I agree with it, is when, I'm going to paraphrase, I don't know how he said it exactly, but this is how I say it, when your anointing, when your gifting intersects with a need, that's, that's ground zero, man. X marks the spot. That's where you can start bringing justice to the world. Went down to Loda last night and uh, took my wife to Picklefish and Watched some of you guys wash windows and talk to people that, you know, manager of Picklefish said, hey, man, what do you think about those guys, you know? 
He didn't know who I was. And I saw him go out and talk to Robert and say something, you know, and, you know, pointing up and everything. And he came back in. I said, hey, man, those guys do a good job. He goes, yeah, they do a great job. He said, scared the hell out of me the first time they came and watched my windows. I thought, what are they doing? I said, cool, I'm glad they do a good job. That's awesome, man. What do they charge you? He's like, no, it's free, man. I'm like, cool. Well, who are they? He said, some church group like 10 minutes from here. I'm like, right on. I'm just, you know, acting ignorant. Sometimes it's less of an act than other times. But. And then, you know, he goes away and he comes back and brings us the bills like 12 bucks for our pizza. And we tipped him almost the whole, you know, another 10 bucks, you know. It's a pretty decent tip. I mean, it wasn't, you can't retire or anything, but it was a nice tip. And, um, and I said, uh, hey, man, um, what do you think about those window washers? Are they they punks or are they they pretty cool? He's like, man, they're re- actually very nice, like awesome. Well, I just want to make sure they had a good reputation down here because um, I'm I'm their pastor. And he was like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> he said, I'm so glad I didn't say something mean about them. He's like, but you're mean, man. You're like sneaky. I'm like, man, I didn't mean to say that. If you said something mean about them, I wouldn't have let you know that I was their pastor. I would have just, you know, gone out and said, well, I'm going to go have words with them for you or something, you know. But he's like, next time I'm going to put Visine on your pizza. <laughs> of course, he assured me he was kidding. But invited him to church, and, and he was just like, you know, was, at that point, he was like, we're standing up, you know, and there's a bunch of customers, but he was almost like, didn't want to talk to anybody else, didn't want us to leave. He was just so engaged, and but, but see, it's making a difference. It's making a difference. And I, I think um, what you are doing down there is pretty cool. There's a justice volunteerism connection. You know how I know that? The Bible says that in the day of my power, my people will be volunteers. My people will be volunteers in the day of power. The Bible says that. And that's justice. Justice. Where your need and your gifts intersect is where, where, where need and your gifts intersect is where justice can begin. Jesus never commanded to feed the poor. You realize that? Yeah, he said the poor you'll have with you always. But he did say to preach the gospel to them. Why? Because the gospel is what empowers mankind to overcome injustices and gives them a fair go. Now, that does not mean that we shouldn't feed the poor. In fact, when the apostles were writing a letter and sent it out to all the other churches, one of the things they said, they said, stay away from, you know, don't eat things with blood in it and remember the poor. He didn't say feed the poor or not feed the poor. He said just remember the poor. And when they received this letter, they were all encouraged. Now, how do we remember the poor? In fact, did you know that there's over 2,100 verses in Scripture about the poor? You know why? Because God loves the poor. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst. Now, those aren't all just spiritual things. Some of them are natural. He said, they're blessed because I'm going to help them out. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 61 and also in Luke 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That is the number one thing we have to do when it comes to the poor is preach or minister the good news to them 
because it empowers them or it gives them a fair go. It gives them an opportunity to have a life change. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't feed them because how you know, sometimes it's easier to listen to the gospel if you've got something on your stomach. One thing I've observed living in India, one of the poorest nations in the world, it used to be their economy's changing, but is that I'd see quote-unquote missionaries come in and all they did was feed the poor and they never preached the gospel to them and they had the social gospel where they would help a few, you know, and a few could be a thousand a day, which is significant, but um, when there's a billion people, you can't feed everybody. But they would feed people, but they would never tell them, hey, here's how you can have a new life. You know, the old saying, you know, don't just give a man a fish, teach him how to fish. Or give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man how to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. But I think it's okay if we do both. Hey, dude, here's a fish so you can eat today. And while you're munching on that, let me teach you how to fish. Let's take it to the max, right? Why would God... Stop blessing a tither. We talked about this a little bit Sunday morning. Let's just look at some scripture. Make this a legal meeting. Turn with me to Matthew 23. So funny when Robert started praying for me tonight, I just started praying for Robert. So the whole time you're praying for me, I was praying for you, man. Back at you, more of it. Matthew 23, in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. In other words, he said you should have tithed, but you shouldn't have neglected these more important issues. You blind guides who strain out on that and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. So, you know, he was kind of rough on them a little bit there, wouldn't you say? Kind of had words with them. He, uh, I guess we could say he really exhorted them. Right? Hmm. So it's funny how people could give 10% of their income to God, but then refuse to give one minute of our time to help others. And then we wonder why it's not working. Tithing doesn't exempt us from fulfilling God's law of love or other directives, right? And that's what I want to commend you guys for tonight because I see... I see both happening, and I just want to fan the flame, you know, and throw some gasoline on it. Let it throw another log on the fire, so to speak. Let's turn, here's a great one. Look at Psalm 89. When you get there, say, oh, yeah. Psalm 89. Let's see. I forgot which verse it is, to be honest with you. I was reading it earlier today. 
Oh, there it is. Um, verse 13. You have a strong arm. Your hand is mighty. Your right hand is exalted. Verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Let me just say this. You know, what came first, chicken or the egg? Should we feed the poor or preach the gospel to them? Well, it's kind of like saying, what's better, a power encounter or a truth encounter? I don't know. I guess it depends on which one you need. And whichever one God decides to give you is probably going to be what's better. It's kind of like saying, which of the nine gifts of the Spirit, which one's the best? Well, that's an easy one. Whichever one you need at the moment. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. The foundation of God's throne is justice. Listen, listen to this. Righteousness, justice, loving kindness, truth are the foundation of God's throne. They are fundamental aspects of the way God rules. As God's ambassadors, we should deal with people similarly. Make sure your actions flow out of righteousness, justice, love, and faithfulness because any unfair, unloving, or dishonest action cannot come from God. Look at Proverbs 28. I, I want to, um, while I'm thinking about it, I may forget toward the end of the night. I want to ask you guys for a favor. And um, the favor is, is that during the missions conference, we'll... Obviously, that, that you'd be there, or you couldn't do what I'm asking you to do. But the favor is, um, just act really excited during the worship, um, during the preaching. Man, just amen, all the ministers and speakers, especially when I'm speaking, okay? just I just want, and the reason for that, just pull on the gift of God that's in these missionaries, there are these speakers that are coming, okay? Just, just place a demand on the, let them just in the spirit hear the sucking sound, you know, just... Just sucking everything out of them that God has for us that's in them. Amen? So will you just act excited? Will you do that? You know? Yeah, like that. That'll work. Cool. Say, yeah, come on now. That's good. Preach! Say, woo! I'm getting something. You know, just make up stuff. We don't care. That'd be good. That'd be real good. Hey, um, here's a good thought. Listen to this while... uh, I'm still finding my verse. Listen to this. Acts 10.38. You all know it. Ye, ye all know it. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing what? Good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's pretty cool. He went around doing what? Good, that sounds like justice to me. How about you? All right. Listen to this. This is uh, Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. Everybody say justice is important. What was the other one? Um, 28? Chapter 28? Verse 5. It says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. 
You know why? Because justice is a part of God's character. And if you know the Lord and fear the Lord, you're going to understand justice because it flows out of Him. It's who He is. It's a part of His character. It's part of His nature. And that's part of who He is. Somebody say, come on, preacher. All right, see, the more you know God, the more you'll understand justice. And the more you won't, it'll bother you when you see that people are being treated unjustly. I believe that the most important thing to God is people. Okay? And let me break it down into three categories. Number one, the church. We are the bride of Christ. We're Jesus' chick. That's why one reason I think tithing is important because one day we're going to stand before God and say, I didn't tithe. He's going to go, what? You didn't take care of my bride? Oh, sorry, Lord. If you're really a friend of the bridegroom, you'll take care of the bride. Jesus is all up into the church, man. In fact, he came to the earth and he planted the church. He said to the disciples, he said, go and make disciples of every nation. Not disciple people in nations, but make disciples of the whole nation. We've got to think bigger, believe bigger, ask for bigger things. Lord, give us vast you know, resources and, and uh, uh, private jets and everything we need to get the job done. But let me just say this. If we had zero resources, we could still do what he asked us to do because it's not dependent on natural things. And so the church is of utmost importance to Jesus. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. He loves the church. He adores the church. I could go on and on about the church. Number two is the poor. God loves poor people. You know why? Because there isn't a person on the planet that doesn't qualify. Unless you're born again, walking with God, then you're not poor. He became poor that we might be made rich. You know why? Because everybody was poor. And number three. Simply the lost. He's deeply concerned about the lost. Rescue the perishing. It's our job. And one thing that's unjust is that there are people, and we can be thankful for it, but there are people who hear the gospel over and over and over again while there's people on the other side of the world who've never heard it once. That's unjust. It's not right. And the thing about compassion is that it will not allow you, and that will not, it will not allow someone to stay messed up. Jesus was anointed because he was a man of justice. Luke 4.14, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The power of the Spirit is on me. He came out in the power of the Spirit, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, preach deliverance to the captives, etc., etc. Another way of saying He was anointed or blessed is to say that the power of the Spirit was on Him. The power of the Spirit of God is on you and I to right wrongs. And you know, when somebody is sick, it's not right. When somebody is lost as a goose in a snowstorm, spiritually speaking, it's not right. And, and we are to seek First, the kingdom of God and His rightness. When somebody's demonized, it's not right. 
And we want to make right the wrong. We want to bring justice to injustice. When somebody's hungry, you know what? Maybe they made dumb decisions. And they are where they are. And there's a lot of that going on in our world, in our city. There's some people that are homeless because they chose to be. But did you know that Jesus, it says that he suffered injustice on the cross. In fact, he opened not his mouth, the Bible says. He was rejected and despised by men. In fact, one translation says that he had no address. Ultimately, Jesus became homeless so that people today don't have to be homeless. And the thing about it is, we all, to some degree or another, are are we are in our lives because of decisions that we've made. Some things are beyond people's control, okay? And that's injustice for sure. But people that have made a decision to be homeless because they're whatever, they're a crack addict or they whatever, there's any number, that still does not excuse us from giving them a fair go or the opportunity to make another decision that will change their life. Jesus was anointed. You're anointed. This is just cool. I'm not in my notes here, but turn to Acts chapter 8. I love this passage so much, I wrote a book about it called The Chariot Chaser. It says in verse 5, Philip went down to Samaria, to the city, and he preached Christ to them. Man, people were getting saved. There was great joy in the city. Devils were coming out. People were being healed. And then... I love this. He was having a regional revival. Thousands of people. I mean, this is the stuff that preachers dream of. But then suddenly, the angel of the Lord in verse 26 spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south. I mean, so far so good, right? Everybody loves the south. Go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Ooh, Wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> I look around. I'm in the middle of a mass revival. You want me to go where? To the desert? I mean, this, this was an ancient Lakeland, Florida kind of outpouring that was happening. And all of a sudden, it would be like Jesus coming to Todd Bentley and saying, Okay, now I want you to go hang out in the Everglades for a little while. Ain't nobody down there but a bunch of alligators. But I love this, though. Look what it says. Verse 27, so he arose and went. No argument, no but God. He left the tens of thousands and he struck off down this road, walking nonetheless, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was a high official, it was an important person here, VIP, a ruler, a sovereign, potent. Philip ran to him because we see that he was sitting in the chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. So he had gone to church, 
He came to Jerusalem to worship, but he still didn't have a clue. How often does that happen with us at our church? I don't want to talk about the Baptists or the Lutherans or the Catholics or the you know, United Pentecostals. Or What about us? How often does somebody come to worship because they're genuinely hungry for God and they leave scratching their head going, Now what? I don't get it, man. He's sitting here and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. Chase the chariot. So, I'll hear Philip again. So, he didn't debate. He didn't think, reason, man, that's a fast chariot. I'm on my two feet, man. They got horses pulling them, man, or camels or whatever. It says, so, Philip ran to him. (laughs) I love it. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said to him, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, he's just out there running beside his chariot. Probably getting tired, but the Spirit of God was on him out there in that desert to run. To do something hard. And notice he didn't say, You hell-bound Ethiopian! Turn or burn! No. He was nice. How many of you don't have to be, you know, a, a, a foaming maniac to be a good witness? I mean, I, I've seen people do it and I almost cringe inside, you know, and they go, Hey, bro. you to do that you know then do that but we have a precedent in scripture and here's a guy that's running along going hey, what's up what you reading isaiah huh? you get it you understand it and the thing that's really kind of perplexing even about this passage is the ethiopian he's so into what he's reading he's he's just maybe he doesn't even look up he says well how can i understand it unless someone guides me And he asked, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now check this out. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And we see where Philip got to lead this Ethiopian guy to Jesus. But the thing that he used to preach Christ to him was his justice was taken away. Why was his justice taken away? So that we could get ours back. And so that we could take justice to others, to the world. His justice was taken away. The world's looking for a leader. Lead him to Jesus. The world's looking for a giver. Give him hope. The world's looking for a deliverer, so be anointed. 
be anointed. Isaiah, what is it, 1027, it says, the, the, the burden shall be destroyed because of the yoke. No, I didn't say that right. The anointing shall destroy the yoke. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Speak that out, Pastor. We are burden-removing, yoke-destroying, justice generation. Who will declare his generation? Amen. He still mends the broken. If I could tell you one thing about God, I'd tell you this. He's good. And that leads to justice. Because people, a lot of people don't believe that he's good. Let me just read something here to you. We are to hold our, uh, we are told our whole life, don't touch. That's breakable, that's fragile, don't touch that. But Jesus was always touching fragile things. Think about it. He, he would stop and he'd play with the kids. He noticed the lilies and their beauty and their fragrance. He stopped to help a baby sparrow that had fallen from the nest. He even took time to notice the number of gray hairs on an old man's head. He took time to weep with the grieving family. So we spend most of our life attaining fragile things, but we often lose sight of their true meaning and begin to sacrifice ourselves in the pursuit of obtaining the process of acquiring them. You know, that's great freedom when you can admire without having to acquire. So much to talk about, so little time. Um, let me just read something to you and I guess we'll be done. Before I read that to you, I brought some old, they're probably a year old, some old newsletters of, of ours because um, I think that's a phenomenal picture, isn't it? And y'all see that? It says, I love India, and it's this little kid behind a door with chains. One of our team members took that picture. And um, most of them, though, and that, ain't that pretty? I took that picture, isn't that cool? Flowers in, uh, in India. It's just amazing the, the beauty that's in the midst of. You know, ash heaps and stuff. But the reason I brought this is because we have, um, you really can't see it, but I'll pass them out to you. But see these two little girls here and these, these two little, these four kids right here? Uh, um, these were our first kids in our first children's home. And, um, hey man, would you mind helping me pass these out? Thanks, buddy. Wes might even help you. You never can tell. But, um, this is about two years ago now. Uh, I was in India, and this little kid came up to our window at our vehicle. And I had my son Gavin with me. And this kid, uh, you know, he's begging, you know. And um, and uh, my little boy Gavin, he's eight, almost nine, and he said, Papa, aren't you going to give something to that little kid? I said, well, son, no, because he's healthy. And, you know, he should. he's too young to be begging, first of all. Second of all... We don't want to teach him to beg. We want to grow up and get a job. My little boy, he thought for a second there, you know, and he said, and he said, well, Papa, didn't Jesus say to give something to everybody who asked you? And it was like, oh, ouch. I pulled that sword out of my heart real quick. I said, yeah, he did. And so he said, well, then what are you going to give him? I mean, he was pushing me. 
Okay, son, we rolled the window down, gave him some money. Well, we had to go to a, a little to the market, to the bazaar, and we had to buy fruit and candy and flip-flops, keep it in the car. So every time we stopped at a red light or a stop sign or got stuck in traffic and people were swarming you, gassing you for stuff, you know, we're handing out stuff. Because my little boy wouldn't allow us to not give something to everybody who asked us. And I've tried to carry that over into back here at home. And there's a guy at the corner, you know, so we'll work for food, down on my luck. Uh, car broke down, you know, dog starving, just whatever. There's signs saying they're standing there, you know. Any help, appreciated. God bless. And, you know, my thought used to be, dude, you know, like that down the movie Liar, Liar, do you have any spare change? Yes. <gasps> you do? Can you give me something? No. Well, why not? Because I'm afraid you'll spend it on booze. But really what they're spending on, you know, and also I'm thinking, I ain't going to give the dude enough money to hurt himself anyway. You know, I mean, unless God led me to us. I mean, I usually have a dollar or two or whatever. So now I can't go by those guys without hearing my little eight-year-old boy say, well, Papa, aren't you going to give him something? So I call him over. I have a track or a Bible or whatever. And... I just say, hey, man, I know this, this, this isn't a whole lot, but they're always so thankful. They're really genuinely going to be thankful. Hey, man, I just, just want to say God hadn't forgotten you. He loves you, and, and, and this, is, this is all I got today. And they're always genuinely thankful. But God's helped me take it to another level because then I'll pause and I'll say, man, you got anything for me? And you know what? Sometimes they do. I've had them give me stuff. I've had them say, man, I, I got a thought for the day or, or I got a slogan I try to live by or I got a poem that I wrote. <laughs> really? I got this newspaper that somebody gave me today. And it's, it seems like all of a sudden they become empowered. They're like, I have something to give. And it's so humbling, too, because you're sitting there, especially if you get a word from God from this homeless guy. And you're so humbled, you're like, oh, man, that's all I needed, that thanks, man. Because you can't be in pride and receive. And I'm not saying that's the ultimate homeless ministry. It's just something. Because here's the thing. We can't despise small beginnings. Think about this, and I'll, I'll... Start closing with with this. What if, you know, they're out in the desert, Jesus is such a phenomenal teaching, and, and you know, people are watching as the, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, devils are coming out, and people are so mesmerized that children are sitting still, nobody wants to go home for three days. And all of a sudden they realize, you know what? I'm hungry, I hadn't eaten in three or four days. And the disciples come and say, hey, Lord, we need to send everybody away so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, you feed them. <laughs> well, Jesus. <laughs> the problem is, all we got is like these five loaves and two fish. Where is it? Five fish and two loaves. Anyway, all we have is just like Captain D's two-piece snack kind of deal. <laughs> and that's it. Think of it, though. Notice Jesus did not say, well, get rid of that. We're going to do something supernatural. 
No. They said, all we have is this. And he said, all right, we can work with that. So, maybe you feel like, you know, handing out sandwiches and washing windows, that's eh, not much. But you know what? It's as much as five loaves and two fish. But guess what? I found, uh, I guess, what's an abortion clinic, you know, over by Starbucks. I guess that's what that is. I go by and there's people like picketing, you know, and holding signs. I always blow the horn and wave at them. They probably think I'm flipping them off, but I'm not. I'm just, hey, what's up? But one day, you know, I'm going by and not that abortion clinic. It was a different abortion clinic. And the uh, there's some meal picketers out there, and I just feel impressed to stop. All right, I'll stop, get out, walk over there where the picketers are. You know, they don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm for them or against them. But uh, I'm like, you know, remember that angel that appeared to Joshua? Joshua said, "Are you for us or against us?" And the angel said, "Dude, neither. I'm, I'm, I'm with the captain of the host. <laughs> I'm on God's side, man. So I guess the question is, whose side are you on?" <laughs> So anyway, they didn't know who I was. I'm walking up, you know, and I'm like, hey, everybody's going. And they're like, good, you know, who are you? And I said, what are y'all doing? Because that's a good question if you think about it. What are you doing? What are you doing? And they said, we're picketing this abortion clinic. I said, oh, man, that's too bad. So what are you, like, pro-choice or something? So well, no, actually, God's pro-choice. He gives everybody a choice. But instead of picking an abortion clinic, I was kind of hoping you were out here, you know, rescuing unborn babies and loving people and changing lives. I, about that time, the abortionist herself came out. And they all turned their attention. They're just, you know, just berating this lady. And she is so overwhelmed. I mean, she, she, I mean, overwhelmed with anger. You could just see, you know, she just gets angry, you know. And she goes inside, and her two assistants come out with her, and they're cursing, you know. And and so I said, "Hey guys, can I have a try?" They're like, "Yeah." And I step up and I say, "I mean, you couldn't go past this line, you know." I said, "Hey, we are so sorry." Please forgive us and forgive my friends. I apologize. What we really would like to say to you is that we know you don't. We don't love it. I mean, you don't know us, but we love you. We really do. And and, and I just want to pray for you. I, you know, I know you're doing what you think is what's best and what's right, but I just want you to know that God's not mad at you. I want to say these guys are, but God's not mad at you. And please for, forgive us for, for being rude today. I just want to bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Please surround this dear lady with your love right now. Lord, just touch her where she hurts the most. And you know what? That lady fell to her knees trying to get into her car. She opened her car and she fell down under the power of God and she just started weeping. And that doesn't make me better or anything. Like that. I'm just telling you a story. The story is, is that... Justice isn't holding the picket sign or handing out a sandwich. It's a condition of the heart, and it's just another manifestation of the kingdom of God.
It's a movement. It's a movement. We belong to a network of revolutionaries who enter Muslim villages risking their lives to bring the angel, the gospel. Who walk the streets of Beijing preaching, praying for a bed at night. Live in hiding to be the daily voice of Jesus in Iran. Ride their bikes village to village in Burkina Faso to win them to Jesus. Take their medical skills to Central Asia and start church planning movements. We belong to a network of revolutionaries who, despite great suffering and persecution, stand against oppressive governments, equip 300,000 Chinese house church leaders, leasehold trains to claim 87 cities in India for Christ, direct thousands of child-at-risk projects, tell 700 million people about Jesus in one year. We belong to a network of revolutionaries who cook, clean, and care for kids while praying hell away. Who prayer walk in Buddhist temples until the demon power is gone. Who talk to kings, live in hiding, and forsake families. Who belong? We belong to a network of revolutionaries who infiltrate the darkness, restore life to the killing fields, worship Jesus in mosques, pray and preach in temples, pull down strongholds, make demons tremble. We belong to a network of revolutionaries who are walking dead men who believe death is better than the status quo, whose lives are not their own. We belong to a network of revolutionaries whose commander-in-chief is Jesus, whose navigator is the Holy Spirit, whose power comes from the only God. We look at schools, families, cities, and countries in spiritual terms. We take them back for our king, not by force, but by denial. Not by attracting a crowd, but by picking up our cross. We belong to a network of revolutionaries who do hand out sandwiches and wash windows and love abortionists. We are nameless, faceless, and serve only one. Jesus, it's revolution or it's death. I'm nothing but a spokesman and I invite you to join. For years we've labored quietly beneath the shadows of those who've gone before us. We have made the commitment to postpone our reward. Neglecting it in the present to offer it eternally to the king in heaven. What compels us? What is the undeniable passion that fuels the beginning of a spiritual revolution? It's a love for our eternal Savior and a vision of the multitudes worshiping in heaven. We glimpse a world larger than we can imagine with more people than we can count around a throne reaching higher than we can see. Billions of players, singers, dancers, and worshipers 
are gathered in an eternal choir to praise the King of Kings. And we crave the vision. We wish everyone could be there. We know some will reject it. But we are stabbed to the heart when we know many will not be there because they have never heard of Christ. Why? They have not heard because no one is preaching to them. No one has been sent to them until now. A spiritual revolution is needed. Our generation is rising to meet its moment of destiny. A storm is brewing. Change is coming. One day soon all the earth will hear and know. All the earth will bow down. and We will worship Him together. We are a network of revolutionaries. Movement makers. Lovers. Of a dancing king. With scars that he bears in his body. That are marks of his love. May we dance with destiny and no longer ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. May we wake up and see with eyes that have been washed in the blood of the Savior King who gave His life that we may have one. Who sits upon a throne and looks down from the top of the circle of time and sees to the hearts of every man and every boy and every girl and every child, every prostitute and every prince. And he sees the poor and he seats them. He lifts them up out of the ashes. And he seats them. He doesn't just lift them up. He seats them with the princes of his people. Lord, you've made us former paupers. You've made us princes. Tonight, may we dance with destiny once again and realize that we've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. We could have been born a thousand years ago, but you caused us to be alive today. And we honor the fathers and those that have gone before us, and we appreciate what you've done in days gone by. But Lord, we say with all of our heart, It's our turn. It's our turn. And may we not fear discomfort or treasure comfort more than our destiny. Lord, change us. Change me. Forgive us. Forgive me. For Lord, I am, I tire of this form. I don't desire to just be warm. I'm ready for the storm. I need the fight. I was built for it, made for it, born for it. Change me, God. Let us be the solution. Because you are justice in the darkness. And now, Lord, send us into the darkness to be that justice on high school campuses, middle schools, 
Help us be brave. Love, cast out all fear. Where we feared, Lord, forgive us. We repent. We don't fear death anymore. We fear you and you alone. You know, I'm so I'm so proud of, of, of my wife and Pastor Trent's wife. And no, nobody knows this. It wasn't made public. But um, they went into our our children's school this year and they started a, a thing called the Good News Club. And they every Tuesday they went, the bell would ring, kids are going home and all the kids who were in after child care and whose parents couldn't come get them or they take all these screaming wild kids and they bring them into a room about this size and and they would just love on them. Share. They had stories and puzzles and crafts. And every Tuesday night, when I'd get home from the office, my wife was like fried. She's like, "Why am I doing this?" I said, "You can't help yourself, can you?" She's like, she'd cry. She'd go, "I just see those little kids." And she'd start crying. And so we'd go, you know, to visit our kids at school or whatever. And all these little. These little kids, you know, they'd say, Hey, Miss Adrian. I'm like, Who was that? She's like, Oh, that's so and so from the Good News Club. And that's justice. That's taking justice. You know, about half of those kids were born again before the year was over. Some of their parents were born again as a result. Some of them would come up to the school angry, get their kids out of the, out of, come to pick up their kids, and they're in there with my wife, and they just bless her. Who do you think you are? Da, da, da. And before it's over with, they're crying, getting saved. Because <laughs> we are a network of revolutionaries. We're taking over. And the way that we take over is not through force through love is through serving because above all we want the culture of the kingdom the culture of honor